You're listening to the Law & Business Podcast, hosted by Anthony Verna. We tackle the difficult questions where business and the law intersect to help you run a smarter business and avoid costly mistakes. Brought to you by Verna Law PC, a full-service law firm focusing on patents, trademarks, copyrights, domain names, and advertising law. For more information, call 914-908-6757 or send an email to anthony at vernalaw.com for more information. So welcome to the Law and Business Podcast. I'm here with Ed Heary from Blackstone Chambers. We've both been at the International Bar Association's annual convention here in Sydney. So Ed, thank you for letting me into your office. <laughs> this is a gorgeous view, uh, high, yes. above, high above Sydney. Do you want to uh, tell your listeners what you can see? Or y You can see everything. You can see Sydney Harbor. You can see the Pacific. It's just gorgeous it, it's not a great place to get much work done i'll i'll, <laughs> I'll accept that I do spend a lot of the day just staring out the window uh, watching the boats coming in and out if and when the north koreans send the navy into sydney <laughs> harbour i'll uh i'll have a front row seat <laughs> please call me first if you see that happen. well i'll <laughs> if, yes i'll try to remember that <laughs> Ed, you are a solicitor, no, a barrister. A barrister. I always do that. I always do that on the well, former British colony system. Look, in American terms, I'm what you might call a specialist trial attorney. I'm a, a barrister. I've been appointed what we call a senior counsel and a Queen's counsel, which means I've, that's a special rank you get granted to you by the courts here. And a barrister operates as an individual practitioner and one of the key things to understand about it is that as a barrister you have to be independent you're not allowed to be in partnership with any other barristers so it's a tradi tradition that commenced in london and it spread to most of the mm. commonwealth countries although they don't they don't have it in canada funnily enough but the principle behind it is that clients who need representation have access to a, a large number of barristers who are available and independent and can act really for all sorts of different clients in all sorts of different cases and we're just briefed on a case-by-case -case basis. I'm essentially subcontracted by the law firms. They, they, they brief me and bring me in when, when something is looking like it's going to go to trial. Or, they, or I do a lot of work advising on cases which might go to trial and it's my job to explain why it should not or, or to resolve cases, mediations, that sort of thing. Understood completely. And so, I've got a funny wig over here, oh. which you can't see uh, oh, on the yeah. podcast, but I don't. I, we don't get to wear that very often in, in, in the IP field. We don't wear wigs at all. We, we do wear the... I was going to say, I do see your, your we've uniform. Got, we've got the, the black gowns and the white, funny white um, collars, so we, we do wear that. I'll be taking pictures of both for the... For the webpage. Well, actually, uh, I, I, whenever I have uh, visitors from overseas like yourself, I, I do give them the opportunity to dress up for a photo. Ooh. So uh, <laughs> there's something for everyone to look forward to. So hot topics and in intellectual property here in Australia. One difference that we talked about at the conference was image rights Yes, here in Australia. Well, obviously, in Australia is your topic, but image rights overall worldwide. Well, yes. Well, put, to put the Australian uh, situation in context for you and your listeners, uh, I understand that you have in America a standalone uh, image right. How would you explain that to me? I would say that the standalone image rights, and in the U.S. we call it right of privacy or right of publicity, depending upon which jurisdiction it is. So in New York, it's right of privacy. In New Jersey, right of right of publicity, believe it or not. Mm. It is a right in a person's own image. So face, name, likeness. California these days also has voice. 
as one as one of those characteristics. Uh, and it is the ability for you to control how others use that name, image, likeness in their own works. So now you can tell me if I've confused you. No, no, that's that's okay. very that's very interesting. And, and and these are all statutory rights. They're all in in the United States. They're all statutory rights, and they all have different ways of acting depending on what state you're in. New York, all of a person's uh, rights of privacy are gone the second that that person is dead. Interesting. In California, there is actually a registry for famous people so that their right of privacy can continue uh, passed on to their estate so that their estates can monetize the the celebrity's uh, face. From what you've said so far, it, you, it it sounds like California is at the leading edge of, of this type of legislation, and and you know at first blush that might reflect the influence that the Hollywood studios have with the California legislature. Is that a, a cynical take on that? No, well I don't think that's cynical at all. I just think that's reality. Is well, that <laughs> cynicism and reality usually overlap? <laughs> I think, uh, yes, it's because the Hollywood movie industry is in California, and I think that's why that's like that. On the same token, uh, and it's hard for me to describe a lot of the differences, in Tennessee, image rights were basically written around Elvis. Yes. All right. (laughs) Of course. And in Illinois, there were a lot of book publishers there, so a lot of uh, image rights were written around the book publishers as well. Interesting. Well, there you go. Well, in Australia, we have no such thing. We have no such thing. And um, yesterday at our conference, I was um, talking about uh, the seminal Australian case, which deals with wrongful use of somebody's personal image. And appropriately enough, it deals with one of our most uh, famous international films from a while ago, of course. Um, but you and I are, are old enough, only just old enough to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to remember it from when it was uh, in the cinemas, and that's, of course, Crocodile Dundee. And uh, if, if you can play to your listeners the, um, the famous knife scene uh, when uh, the character Mick Dundee uh, with uh, his new American journalist friend was <laughs> were having a quiet stroll through the streets of New York and they met a couple of what Mick Dundee ultimately called young kids having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you can play that for your listeners. Absolutely. You got a light, buddy? Yeah, sure, kid. There you go. And your wallet. Nick, give him your wallet. What for? He's got a knife. (laughs) That's not a knife. That's a knife. Then, uh, not long after the uh, success of Crocodile Dundee, there was an advertisement uh, broadcast on Australian television, uh, which you can play for your listeners as well. And I think it hasn't aged very well. Uh, I don't know whether we might have looked at that ad <laughs> back in the late 1980s and thought it was uh, it had a greater artistic merit than we do now. But uh, I think you and I uh, and probably all of your listeners would agree that, that that's really uh, quite a, a terrible uh, ex- example of what the advertising industry can produce. Give him your wallet. He's wearing leather shoes. Who call those leather shoes? Now these are leather shoes. Ah! Rosby leathers. Soft. Comfortable. Ah! 
packed leather, made right here in Australia, and only 40 bucks. Crosby Leathers. You'd be a market to pay him off for real leather. Crosby, they're great, mate. Wolf. But uh, in any event, the real question uh, legally, because the Paul Hogan and the producers of the movie sued the shoe company, which was running the advertisement, and the only causes of action available to them under Australian law were to say that the shoe company was passing off its shoes as being endorsed by Paul Hogan. Okay. So that's the common law taught of passing off, which sure. comes from, from British law and, and applies uh, in Australia as well. Um, and the, the parallel case was put on the basis of a, of a statute that we have in Australia, which prohibits a corporation from engaging in conduct which is misleading or deceptive or likely to mislead or deceive. And by the way, that that actually is quite a, a very important piece of legislation in Australia. It applies whether or not the person engaging in that conduct intended to mislead or deceive. Okay. So uh, it, it has a very wide application. Virtually any passing off case will also amount to misleading or deceptive conduct in breach of that legislation. And, and in the United States, we would call that unfair competition uh, to the point where the the way the Australian statute is written is very close to the American statute. Yes, yes. So we've, we've actually, there was an attempt in the 70s and 80s to try and um, inject into Australian common law the concept of unfair competition, and, and, and that was actually rejected by our ultimate appeal court um, so that we, we don't actually have the concept of unfair competition as providing okay. a right of action of itself. Rather, really for all of these sorts of cases, your approach is limited. Either you can prove a passing off in the common law sense, okay. or you can prove that the conduct was likely to mislead, which would breach the, the statutory provision I, I spoke about a moment ago, or you have to rely on a, on a registered trademark, which means that you've actually gone and registered it previously. Sure. And obviously, a lot of plaintiffs aren't in that position that if they <laughs> haven't registered a trademark. And then finally, you might have some right in copyright if you can point to perhaps some part of uh, a script in a movie or part of a book or, or, or some other copyright work which has been uh, reproduced or at least a substantial part of it has been reproduced in the infringing advertisement or whatever it is you're complaining about. But those are your only options. Uh, you do not have a, a standalone right to take action against um, someone for merely using your personal image or referring to your, your likeness or the, the other ways that you explained it under American law. So in this case, in the, this Paul Hogan case about Crocodile Dundee and these shoes, the ultimate question for the, for the court was whether the ordinary reasonable consumer looking at that ad would perceive on the one hand that the sh that it was an endorsement of those shoes by Paul Hogan and the creators of Crocodile Dundee, mm -hmm. or would they look at that ad and think that, well, that was a, a parody of Crocodile Dundee, which was clearly not authorised by right. Paul Hogan. And um, those of your listeners who uh, managed to see the advertisement themselves can make up their own minds about that. But we, <laughs> we, it was interesting for me to ask for a show of hands at our conference yesterday. And um, we had a, really a unanimous decision from everyone in the room uh, <laughs> that the, the more likely result was B, that any ordinary reasonable consumer looking at that advertisement would would not think that it was authorised by Paul Hogan that, and that clearly it was an unauthorised parody or a, a send-up, as we call it. I'm not sure if you use that no, sort of terminology. No, we use that, sure. Okay. 
but so uh, it, it's a landmark case because the court decided to the contrary that, that in fact this was passing off and it was misleading conduct and uh, as Australian lawyers it, it's a case that we we always refer to but it's very rare that you bother to go and dig up the actual videos <laughs> and see them and you can't actually see the videos uh, when you read the judgments of course and so um, you know we live in the age of YouTube these days and so I don't know who it was but somebody saw fit to load up that old ad from the 1980s onto YouTube so I, I, I could find it and I could dig it out and show it to everyone at our conference so so it was a, it was an interesting exercise for me because until I did that a few weeks ago I hadn't seen the actual video of it and didn't realize how 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 bad it was. Right. And, 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 <laughs> yes, and, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> and and what a what a what a strong argument there was to say that the ordinary reasonable consumer looking at that ad would never think it was authorized by Paul Hogan. A- absolutely not. And that's why when 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 I raised my hand and jumped in, I I said that I couldn't agree with the court on that particular decision because it it looked bad the impression was bad obviously they changed you know knives to shoes and and it, the production quality was so low yes. every fact surrounding this tells me that there's no way that the celebrity would have had any endorsement behind yes and everything you're saying is is effectively what the dissenting judge on the appeal court found that that was the essence of, of the dissent to say that, well, nobody would, 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 would form the conclusion that it was authorised by Paul Hogan. But the, the trial judge um, and the two judges who upheld the trial judge's decision on, on the appeal, they focused on various factors. Uh, Paul Hogan had a, had a long history of endorsing brands, so that would be a relevant factor for the consumer. The, it was taken into account the consumers would be familiar that he had been, by that time, uh, promoting... He promoted Winfield cigarettes for, for decades in Australia when, when that was something that could be done legally. And then he was he did ads for Foster's Lager for, for years on end. And, and he and did that in the US also. Correct. And and, um, and in America, you might have seen, he, he did a lot of ads for... Um, Oh, by the way, Australian nobody tourism. in Australia drinks Fosters. I just want to state that, that on the record. Uh, yes, it's it's there. You go. It's one of those uh, brands that <laughs> that travels well uh, and it has few friends at home. So uh, <laughs> it, who knows why? But um, I also, as I understand it, uh, that you can't get a Hawaiian pizza in, in Hawaii. Is that is that true? I've never been to Hawaii. Oh, there you go. We'll we'll put that on your list of I, uh, things to investigate. I do need to. Yes, so um, there you have it. But so the court <laughs> focused on um, what that was one of the factors that he'd had a history of endorsing brands, so that it, people seeing another advertisement using a likeness of him, they might take that into account as as a reason for him to um, have endorsed the product. And 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 the judges who found in favour of Paul Hogan, they were also keen to sh- uh, stress that. Television is not something that you pay very close attention to. The, the an advertisement comes really while you're concentrating on other things. It's it's right. um, and really the message that's um, conveyed by a television commercial is is rather ephemeral and, and fleeting and and and, and it's just a, a good feeling that well these shoes are, are somehow associated with Crocodile Dundee and and that's really the essence of the misleading connotation or the representation made by the advertisement um, in the in the view of the. The majority decision. So that really looms large over Australian law for the uh, unauthorised use of 
personal images. It, we don't have juries deciding these cases in Australia, right. so that's another interesting um, contrast with America. Uh, all of these decisions usually taken in, in our federal court, which usually does not have juries, but it does actually have provision for juries, and that's I'm always interested talking to American lawyers about uh, the fact that they use juries. I mean, you have juries deciding complex issues of in patent cases, you know, that, uh, which it's optional. Actually, um, the plaintiff does get to choose if the plaintiff wants a jury trial or not. Yes, the f- defendant can certainly argue one way or the other. Uh, in all honesty, I prefer not to have a jury trial if I am if if I'm in a complex intellectual property case. Well, certainly, you would it would seem to add a lot a lot of extra risk into the case. Uh, yes, but for these cases. Um, which really are all about consumer perception. You would think that there's great scope for a jury to to play a a very useful role. In a case like this, yes, where there is consumer, uh, you know, perception, I do agree that jury here. I I had another case recently where um, we were, I was acting for a government regulator and we were prosecuting a an online gambling company for the fact that it had a big headline on its web page, which was then qualified by very fine print. Okay. Uh, and the, the particular fine print was buried in 20 terms and conditions. Ooh. Those 20 terms and conditions um, ran to over a thousand words. <laughs> they were printed in light green print on a dark green background Ooh. at the bottom of the web page. Oh. And the, the, the key conditions that you had to find were, were, were like 7A, uh, 11, uh, 13 and 18. And yeah, so so... You did not get the true representation without reading the big headline across the top and then digging through a a thousand words to find those little terms. That would be a deceptive advertising issue as well. Well, (laughs) that might have been a good uh, issue to put in front of a jury because we, the the particular judge we had, uh, decided that the reasonable consumer would find those small print terms, and and quite frankly, I think that he is the only consumer in Australia who, who, who would have done that, but. I, 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 I understand what you're saying very well because nobody reads the fine print in, no, in an advertisement. But, so there you go. I am interested in the way that juries are used in, in the United States for these sorts of cases. So, uh, But in any event, I, 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 would, I would say that on the whole, these sorts of misrepresentation cases in Australia, they're not easy to, to win. Uh, can, judges can be quite robust and quite cynical about how seriously consumers will take an advertisement sure. that 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 paul hogan i mean we already know that one of the appeal judges would have rejected the case if that came in front of our courts today uh it really could have gone uh, either way sure i i am reminded of of two california cases on this particular issue. One involves uh, Vanna White, who is the uh, hostess of uh, Wheel of Fortune. I don't know if, if there's a Wheel of Fortune version here in Australia. We, we did used to have that. Okay, yes. all right. Well, it's running very well in, in the U.S. And she sued uh, Samsung when Samsung ran an ad that uh, basically had a robot in a dress and a blonde wig standing in front of a very similar green board. And under it, it said game shows of the future. And I think it had then some Samsung products on the other side of the ad that's like products of the future or something to that effect. I'll certainly find that and post that to this podcast episode website, webpage. And basically, it was the same issue there that Samsung had created an ad that looked like 
Vanna White had sponsored this or that consumers would assume that Vanna White had sponsored it because when you take the entire ad in its entirety, you see all of these reminders of who she is. And uh, that case just to me seems very similar to the Paul Hogan case. Like when you look at this, you would there is no way you would think that in my opinion, anyway, there's no way that you would think that that she actually um, authorized that. Well, the fact that she's not in the ad. It, is, well, it, that that would be number one. Yes. Well, same with Paul Hogan. He's not in the ad either. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, there was another case out of California, and California always has these fun cases. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Ford was looking to uh, have a Bette Midler song in a commercial, and. In, and and in talking with negotiating with Bette Midler to kind of re-record a a commercial version of of the song, um, she just wanted too much money for Ford. Ford decided to call one of her longtime backup singers and basically said, "Can you make it sound like Bette?" And that backup singer said, "Yes, I can make it sound like Bette Midler." And is she still one of Bette's backup? Now singers? that I have no idea. I, I, I would assume... Um, Maybe not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> so anyway, so um, so she sued Ford, and then that goes up the, the California court chain, and basically it was, it was a similar finding, that because it was a Bette Midler song, uh, it, was, it was somebody who knew how Bette Midler sounded, you know, that, that there was this property right in Bette Midler's voice, and so, in, in a way, it kind of created this property right out of thin air. But they said there's this property right just like an image right. It can be done in your voice and found for, for Bette Midler. Well, there you go. So, well, that, we, we, we have no, no law like that whatsoever in Australia. So. I, I have to admit, even that case is pretty unique Yes, in California. So I, I don't know that I would expect to find that decision in other states if it were to happen in other states yes right well there you go always very interesting so um since we're running a little bit out of time uh if a company were moving from the u.s to australia and wanted to start advertising trying to think about um you know how to advertise maybe trying to get celebrities would you have any tips for that company to get endorsements or or how to use it correctly well one thing I will say about Australian advertising law is that uh, while we don't have such uh, protections as such for you know the use of personal images, and it's quite pedantic in other ways. Uh, for example, pricing information. Uh, I always, <laughs> I, I feel like such a, a chump when I'm in America because I, I I look at the price of something on a menu, and I think, oh, gee, that's that's pretty good. I, I'm going to get a steak for right for I don't know twenty bucks, and then tax. Yeah, and then there's all these hidden extras. And then you have to tip. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's another. That's a whole other story. Australians yes, don't it, understand that it, at all. It, it, um, I would be very happy if, if we got rid of tipping and just paid waiters and waitresses the proper wage. But anyway. Well, anyway, anyway that, that's that's a topic for another discussion. <laughs> but um, So I think I've actually probably avoided your question. Um, that's okay. With regard to uh, endo- personal endorsements, I mean, obviously, you know, people are trying to do things people anyone who any company who's who's using the image of uh, a famous person without that person's consent is is obviously running a risk i suppose from what we've been discussing uh, is is that if you 
don't have the authorization, then uh, you, you want to make that clear. Our courts are u- will usually give effect to disclaimers. Okay. And again, <laughs> they might be the sorts of disclaimers might be the sorts of things that judges pay more attention to than than consumers. True. If you know what I mean. I agree. But then, of course, like we learned from the dissenting judge in the Paul Hogan case, another way to uh, make sure that the, the impression that you avoid giving a false impression of endorsement is to make sure that it sufficiently looks like a parody so that it is a, not taken as a, as, a, as a straight endorsement. Sure. So, But on the whole, I would say that what whatever would pass muster in America would seem to pass muster in Australia because uh, if anything, it's, it's, it's probably harder to, to prove because of those extra rights that the, that the um, celebrity would have in, under American law, which we don't have here. Ed's been fascinating. Thank you for uh, letting me into your office. It's a pleasure. And uh, we'll definitely have a lot of audiovisual material on, uh, on the webpage for this episode. Thank you. Uh, before we go, uh, can, we, can you put in, the, uh, web, in your podcast a little link to the funny sports bed Ben Johnson ad? Oh, absolutely. The, we, can, we, the, can, we can do that. The, the legal issues arising out of that uh, aren't really all that um, deep. Uh, it's there's no doubt that the uh, the product in that advertisement was truly endorsed by Ben Johnson. It, it raised uh, other really more social issues as to the message conveyed, right. but it's uh, it, it certainly conveyed that message in a, in an amusing way. And that's an episode for another time because in, in the United States we have the First Amendment, and the issue that happened in Australia would not happen in the U.S. But maybe we'll do that on Skype another week. Fantastic. (laughs) All right, Ed. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been the Law & Business Podcast. Visit VernaLaw.com for more episodes. To contact Verna Law PC, send an email to anthony at VernaLaw.com or call 914-300-3000.